Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to a Monday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. It is September the 27th, and we have three wins to talk about. Browns, Bengals, and Buckeyes, and the uh, Bengals win was probably the most shocking of the three. The Buckeyes was the most predictable of the three, uh, and we'll tear into Kyle McCord's performance, the Kayvon Pope sideline blow-up. All the drama surrounding all of that and more. Glad to have you with me. And I'm very uh, much enjoying a beautiful Monday as we're getting a last vestige of summer, maybe a little bit of fall. I was wrong on my Ryder Cup prediction. I'll own that. And we'll talk about uh, a shakeup in the college football playoff. Unless there is precedent for a two-loss team getting in, there will be no Clemson this time around which I know deeply chagrins uh, one of my friends who is decidedly anti-Dabo Sweeney. All of that and more, but first let's start the podcast with a shout-out to my friends at auinfo.com, and they are friends. Saturday, I got to spend some time before the Akron-Ohio State game with Chrissy and Steve. Chrissy runs auinfo.com. Steve is her husband. Steve is one of my uh, friends from my time in Cleveland, and... You know, things happen in your life and you don't understand them at the time. Why I had to go to Cleveland for five years to provide for my family, be away from my family five days a week. It was something that I didn't really embrace. I didn't really um, treat that with the appreciation that I should have. I look back now and I see a lot of good things that came out of that time in Cleveland. And one of them was getting to know my friend Steve, who's really an awesome guy. And it was great to connect with him, and we talked a little bit of auiinfo.com business, and the part we talked was that open enrollment is coming around, and if you would like to change your health insurance, that is what you do during open enrollment. So reach out to auiinfo.com online. Their consultation, their analysis, their information is free. It's always free. It's not free once, twice. It's always free. They're paid by the companies that you select from the options that they present, Business owners, they'll help you. They're a small business themselves. They understand all the challenges, but they're really good people. That's the bottom line is that I don't steer you toward folks that I don't do business with myself. I don't have friendships with myself. The same is true of my friend Stan at Willis Spangler Starling. The same is true of Paul Grace and Andy at Hemisphere, and it's certainly true of Steve and Chrissy at auiinfo.com. I'm just blessed to have really good people that I've come in contact with through my professional endeavors and have seen them become assets in my personal life, and they'll become assets for you too. So auiinfo.com, if you have any health insurance needs, either as a business or as an individual, remember that name and avail yourself of their free service, auiinfo.com. So they were down for the Akron game because they're uh, from the Akron area, but they were wearing their Buckeye gear because they're Ohio State fans. And so uh, Akron put up a momentary tussle with the Buckeyes, and it took Kyle McCord a series or so to get going. C.J. Stroud sat out with an elbow injury. And so what I thought might result from the Akron game appears not to have resulted. And that is people clamoring to see more of anybody other than C.J. Stroud. I think that's good. Kyle McCord is nice. Jack Miller's okay. Their stats were fine. McCord put up big numbers. You should put up big numbers against Akron. Akron's a dreadful team. To fall behind Akron 7 and nothing tells you that uh, this is not your vintage Ohio State team right now. Doesn't mean they can't become that. 
Doesn't mean they won't be that. Maybe after the next two weeks when they play Rutgers on the road this week and Maryland home next week, and maybe they'll be ready to go to Indiana and be dominant like they typically are and take on Penn State the following week and fall behind and then benefit from a couple brain-dead James Franklin uh, decisions and come back and storm back and win like they seemingly always do against Penn State at home or on the road. But right now, this Ohio State team is just a little bit like an engine that has a lot of potential but isn't firing on all cylinders. Pass rush looked okay against Akron. It should look okay against Akron. The uh, Travion Henderson train, hype train, continues to run unabated. Uh, The receivers are really good. But what do we know about this Buckeye team that we didn't know before Saturday night? I think what you know is C.J. Stroud's probably the best quarterback and. That's not a shock because Ryan Day's not in the habit of picking the wrong guy to play the most important position on the field. So if Stroud is back from his elbow at Rutgers and he plays pretty well, hopefully we'll put to bed all the clamoring for somebody besides C.J. Stroud to be the quarterback because I think he's doing a nice job. I think he's far from their only, uh, far from their most glaring issue. Will he continue to make some mistakes from time to time? Yeah, but the worst thing you could do. For this team, with the progress that it has to make to become the kind of team you as a fan want it to be, is to introduce indecision at the quarterback position. You're far better off to commit to one guy. Stroud clearly has elevated himself above Jack Miller, who's the same you know chronological age as him. They admit that Quinn Ewers is just overmatched with the complexity of the offense at this point. McCord is obviously talented, but he's not an appreciable upgrade over Stroud. So just put C.J. Stroud in there and stop wondering. Stop asking questions. Stop looking back. Let him develop a rapport with Olave, with Wilson, with Jackson Smith and Jigba, with the other guys, and be done with it. That's my recommendation to Ohio State. Develop the running game. Build an offense. Figure out who you are on offense because you're going to have to score points to win the rest of the games on your regular season schedule. Even though I don't think the Big Ten's very good, you are going to have to score points to win games on this Big Ten schedule. The defense is, I'll just say they're in development. I don't think their pass rush is special. I don't think their linebackers are special. I think their secondary has talent, but it's not perfect, and it's not special right now either. And so you're going to have to score points because you're going to have days where maybe the offense uh, isn't totally hitting on all cylinders. Maybe the defense is going to make some mistakes and give up some big plays. The other team has a defense too. I don't think you're going to score 50 on Penn State. Probably not going to score 50 on Indiana. May not score 50 on Michigan, although you may, given what they've done to Michigan in the past. And you're just going to have to grind this regular season out, and you you as a fan are going to have to get used to them not just dispatching everybody in the first quarter. And by the way, I didn't even mention Michigan State, and they look more and more like an issue, even though Ohio State gets them at home the week before they play Michigan. So forget the quarterback position. It's C.J. Stroud's position. Hopefully he's healthy, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing to get out of the Akron game is that, hey, we were playing the right quarterback, and our quarterback is pretty good. Now, the thing that caught everybody's attention, even though I haven't seen video of it, and I don't know that there is video of the entirety of it, is the Kayvon Pope sideline blow-up. This is uncommon. 
News is, by definition, something that happens that's uncommon. We don't write about planes that land. We write about planes that crash. Kayvon Pope is the high-ranked recruit that crashed because, unlike Dallas Gant, who left the program early in the week and left it quietly, Kayvon Pope didn't leave quietly. <laughs> Kayvon Pope went onto the field or tried to during Saturday night's game. Uh, he was waved off. He came back to the sidelines. He wasn't happy. He got into it with Al Washington. He threw his gloves in the stands, tried to leave the field, was brought back on the field. When Ryan Day either found out or saw him back on the field, he said, get him out of here. He's out of here. Now he's out of here permanently because they dropped him from the team. So he's a senior. He hadn't played much, but he was playing on special teams. He did have a couple interceptions a year or so ago. So it's a body that you lose who would have been there if you needed him, but you clearly didn't think you needed him or didn't think you couldn't live without him at this juncture. I like when coaches make changes that show decisiveness. This is a decisive decision by Ryan Day. The only other time that I think he was faced with something like this was when he had the two guys, Amir Reap, and I can't remember the other kid's name, who were arrested and charged with sexual assault, and Ryan Day didn't waver on that. Like, they're done. Goodbye. See you later. Sayonara. So Ryan Day seems to me to be a, a disciplinarian. I think when you compromise your ideals for a guy you just would like to have around because hmm, he's better to have him than not have him, um, I like that. Now, is there a cynical side to this where you're thinking, all right, the guy's not really contributing, and if we bounce him, we can get his degree or we can get his uh, grant and use it in case he decides to play next year on an extra year? I really don't think that's it. I think Day was like, okay, done. Bye. bye. See you later. I got a chance. When you're a fringe player, don't ever give the coach a reason to make a larger point out of you. Uh, Would he have bounced Tommy Eichenberg Somebody like that who's a starter, I don't know. I kind of tend to doubt it. But don't give a guy a reason. You know, nobody made Kayvon Pope throw his gloves and throw a fit and be petulant on the sideline. He decided that for himself, and so now he's done. Now, he's issued an apology on Twitter, which is spelled and worded remarkably more mainstream than his emotional tweets were (laughs) middle of the game and after the game. Did Kayvon Pope write his own apology on Twitter? Maybe. Maybe. Do I think he wrote his own apology on Twitter? I'm inclined to say no. This is probably a solid that Ohio State's somebody, SID, coach, somebody, a solid they did for Kayvon Pope because now... When someone else picks up Kayvon Pope out of the transfer portal, there's an apology out there that's reasonable and well-stated and makes Kayvon Pope look unlike the Kayvon Pope who melted down on the sidelines. Why is that important? It's important for the next coach of Kayvon Pope in terms of positioning the acquisition of Kayvon Pope with his fan base. If there's no apology, then the next coach is seen to be taking a wacko, a nut job, a crazy person. And maybe he has the cachet to get away with that. A lot of coaches do. Some people don't. 
This way, the next fan base can say, oh, the kid made a mistake and he learned his lesson. Whether he did or not, we all know that probably a leopard doesn't change his spots if Kayvon Pope doesn't get playing time. Where he goes next, he's probably not going to be very happy. So I've spent five minutes on Kayvon Pope, which is five more minutes than I ever spent on him during his Ohio State career. Every kid's entitled to make mistakes. I wish him well. I hope he goes somewhere, finds the playing time that he wants. I don't think you'll see him in the NFL. Okay. Uh, as we transition into the NFL, well, no, we got a little bit more college, first of all. Let's uh, thank our friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. I mentioned Paul, Andy, and Grace a little bit earlier in the program. Hemisphere will ship on orders of $30 or more free to you. You can get more of your money by using the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. We tackle life in all caps. Great coffee, great mission, light, medium, dark roast, K-Cups, however you want it, whole bean. They will ship it right to you. It comes from foreign countries, Nicaragua, Indonesia, uh, Thailand, many other countries. Paul's a discerning buyer. The coffee is awesome. You will love it. Trust me on that. Everyone does. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Clemson loses to NC State. I can't for the life of me figure out what's wrong with Clemson's offense. It must be offensive line. They've got really good receivers. DJ Uyunglele is a pretty good quarterback. He had no trouble throwing for a bunch of yards last year at Notre Dame when he had a better offensive line. Now he doesn't have as good an offensive line, and they cannot run it, and they have lost twice. Now, no team's ever made the college football playoff with two losses. Do I think Clemson could be that first team? Sure. But the Big Ten champ is going to have to have a loss. Oregon has an edge over Ohio State because of Oregon's win in Columbus. Oregon can certainly get in ahead of Clemson or Ohio State with one loss. Bama, they haven't lost yet, don't look like they're going to. They will get in with one loss ahead of Ohio State or Clemson. And I believe that Oklahoma will get in ahead of Clemson but not ahead of Ohio State with a loss because Oklahoma's loss would come later on in the season. So Clemson is not dead yet, but they look dead because they can't score. And they ought to be able to score enough points to win at NC State. NC State's not a terrible team. Losing to NC State for Clemson is a little bit like if Ohio State, well, it's a little bit like Ohio State losing to Iowa uh, if that were to happen this year. Um, but Iowa is a much better team than NC State. But uh, no, not this year. I would just say in the typical year, losing to Iowa. Because NC State's not the equivalent of Wisconsin, although, man, did Wisconsin look bad on Saturday against Notre Dame. Woo! Graham Mers, terrible. He looked terrible. Hey, by the way, Cincinnati plays at Notre Dame this week. That is going to be interesting. Do I think Cincinnati could win at Notre Dame? Yes, I do. And if they do, there's another team that will get in the college football playoff ahead of Clemson. And, by the way, Notre Dame will get in ahead of Clemson if Notre Dame has only one loss. Although Notre Dame doesn't have a championship game to play in, so maybe uh, that might play into it a little bit if Clemson were to have a super impressive championship game in the ACC. But right now, Clemson is struggling and that's big news in college football because they've fallen out of the top 10 for the first time in years. And they're looking for answers down there, looking for answers. The offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, is under fire, just like Kerry Combs was under fire here. But unlike Kerry Combs, 
Tony Elliott has not lost his job. Dabo Sweeney is standing behind Tony Elliott. You remember they lost their uh, coordinator play caller last year right before Ohio State played them in the college football playoffs. So that, to me, in addition to offensive line, may be what's wrong with the Clemson offense at this juncture. Uh, otherwise, in college football, Michigan, uh, again, I, I never bought them. I still don't buy them beating Rutgers by a touchdown. Uh, that doesn't mean to me that Rutgers is going to play Ohio State tough this weekend in Piscataway. It just means to me that Michigan is still Michigan under Harbaugh, which is an 8-4, and 9-3 and three football team. Sure, they look good the first couple weeks. So what? Who did they beat? Washington and who else? Western Michigan, one of the directional Michigan schools. Uh, they play at Wisconsin this week. We'll find out. Two teams with a lot to prove. Wisconsin has a lot to prove because Graham Mers was terrible on Saturday. And Michigan, can they win at Camp Randall? Harbaugh's never been very good against ranked opponents, certainly not on the road. So if Michigan can go up there and win... All right, then I'll start to buy it. But if not, it'll just be more of the same from Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. Uh, the NFL stories include wins by both the Browns and the Bengals. Let's start with the Bengals first because the Bengals' win in Pittsburgh was pretty doggone impressive. Now, I know Pittsburgh's not very good. I can see that. Ben Roethlisberger looks ancient. He looks like he holds the ball forever and a day back there. The Bengals had some sacks on possessions where I'm thinking, throw it away, dude. You're outside the tackle box. Throw it away. He wouldn't do it. And the Bengals' defense was impressive. Logan Wilson with two interceptions. Roethlisberger's the first interception was not his fault. His arm got hit. But the second one, holy smokes, how do you miss Logan Wilson standing right in front of you? And anybody worried about Jamar Chase still? About Jamar Chase with the drops? No. Jamar Chase has caught a touchdown pass in each of the Bengals' first three games. There aren't very many guys who've done that. I think he's like the eighth guy in NFL history to do that. I think Terry McLaurin was the last one. So Jamar Chase made a phenomenal catch for his first touchdown. He caught the back half of the ball. Super throw by Joe Burrow. Super th catch by Jamar Chase. And, uh, hey, the Bengals, I told you guys, like 500 is in range, the Bengals. The Steelers right now, if you had to bet, would you bet that Ravens are better than the Bengals? Ravens had to get a 66-yard field goal to beat the Lions in Detroit? Yes, I know. You and I both, right? When that field goal went through, <laughs> I was thinking Spielman's hatred for kickers just amped up another notch. Justin Tucker with the all-time NFL record 66-yard field goal. He kicked that from the Ravens' 44-yard line. He kicked that from the Ravens' 44-yard line. <laughs> and it was good. Off the crossbar, doink, over. Last play of the game, Ravens win. I'm not laughing at you, Spiels. I'm laughing with you at the absurdity of losing on a 66-yard field goal. Okay. Uh, but the Bengals were impressive, man. Their defense is impressive. And Tyler Boyd... Feeling his oats, bouncing around like a pinball, scoring a first touchdown for the Bengals. Tyler Boyd says the the Steelers quit. He says they quit. Hey, Tyler Boyd, win the game, close your mouth, and get out of town. Don't tempt fate. But I understand why the Bengals are a little bit uh, 
braggadocious, word of the day, kids, after a 24-10 win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. As for the Browns, the Browns win at home against Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. It is, get this, the first time the Browns have started the season with two home wins since 1979 and 1980. 1979 and 1980. Let me see here. Bernie Kosar was in high school and college then. Ay, ay, ay. That's when Brian Sipe was the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. That is a long time. Sam Ritigliano was the coach. So that's where we are, folks. But they got it done. Uh, took them a little bit of time. Close game at halftime. Gosh, the Bears' offense is horrible. Oh, man, are they horrible. Their offensive line is horrible. Miles Garrett and the defensive front had a field day. Browns had nine sacks. Odell Beckham looked pretty good. Um, man, how bad is that Chicago Bears offensive line? And Justin Fields, throw the ball, dude. Like, don't keep taking sack after 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 sack. I think that's nine. Wow, they were bad. So uh, maybe Andy Dalton gets back in there because if I'm Matt Nagy, I do not want Justin Fields to get David Carr syndrome. Not Derek Carr syndrome. Derek Carr's playing well for the Raiders. David Carr syndrome is deer in the headlights, happy feet. I got no shot. My NFL career is blown by the guys in front who are, you know, 300 25-pound revolving doors. Man, I again, I'm telling you, that Justin Fields throwing motion, it is it is ponderous. A ponderous, ponderous, ponderous throwing motion. So um, that's an issue. And uh, hopefully Justin Fields or the Bears will figure something out because he's not going to survive if he's going to get sacked nine times. That is not a recipe for success by Justin Fields or by anyone. Uh, okay, I talked, I uh, gave my prediction for the Ryder Cup on Friday. I said, Euros comfortably, not in a blowout, but comfortably. That was that goes down in my annals of predictions, uh, which are embarrassing and horribly off-kilter, along with my uh, statement that if the Browns were to draft Trent Richardson, he would be a Hall of Fame running back. Uh, he might be in the Alabama Hall of Fame. That's my only hope for pleading some kind of uh, allowance on that one. No, I've had my share of bad ones over the years. I didn't see that coming. I did not think the U.S. team looked loose in the initial ceremonies. I thought they looked bored, didn't want to be there. The Euros are having a big, fun time. But sometimes, man, talent's just talent. And I think the American team benefited from some new fire in the belly of some guys like Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley. Uh they they were they were strong. Bryson DeChambeau, I like Bryson DeChambeau. You guys may think he's a poser and a preener, and he is, but you know what? Guy hits at 400 yards, and he dedicated himself to becoming a different kind of a player. He is a different kind of a player. He just thoroughly demoralized Sergio with driving the first green and hitting a 30-foot eagle putt yesterday. Scotty Scheffler, I thought, I mean, I'm consistent in my Ryder Cup takes. They're all wrong. 
I would have picked Kevin Na over Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler was absolute nails in that Ryder Cup. Uh, beating John Rahm, he was fresh. Scheffler was. Rahm wasn't. So that's part of it. But, man, uh, very impressive by the U.S. Ryder Cup team. I'm happy for them. If they really want to show me something, do that on European soil. That's a whole different deal, doing it on European soil. And those Euros, man, they're going to be Terrell Hatton, Shane Lowry, some of those guys. They're going to be Victor Hovland. He's going to be a problem in the years to come. But Lee Westwood's got to be done, right? 48 years old. Ian Poulter's got to be close to done. So Paul Casey's trending toward done. So they've got some things on the Euro team. There, we've were U.S. team set up pretty well for like the next five Ryder Cups. I don't know about Europe. I don't know about Europe. Although we keep bringing their guys over here and letting them play in our college golf and then developing them, like we did Hovland. Um, I suppose uh, they'll they'll be fine. They'll figure it out in time. But Rory was bad. If Rory's bad, it really hurts you. Uh, Rory was bad. Uh, the rest of the European team just they didn't have it. They didn't have it, and uh, we smoked them. All-time record, 19 points since they went to the 28-point format. Okay, final sponsor read. I mentioned my friend Stan from Willis Spangler Starling earlier in the broadcast. If you need an attorney, willisattorneys.com is the website to go to. They're on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. Any kind of legal case you have, I know this. They're going to be able to give you a wise consultation. And the thing I like about them is they're going to tell you flat out if it's a case that they think you'd be better off going somewhere else to have litigated. Now, that's not going to happen very often because their expertise runs the gamut of personal injury, wills estate planning, probate, employment law, social security disability. Those are going to encompass 95% of all cases. If you got some weird like environmental case or something like that, they're not going to try to phony their way through it. They are people of integrity they're people with great expertise. They're just good people. And you'll feel very at home and be represented very well by my friends at Willis Spangler Starling, willisattorneys.com. Okay, it is now the time of the podcast when we delve into the faith portion of the podcast. And um, the hour of the day that this is does not leave me a ton of time to chat with you about faith, but... Do not mistake that for the fact that it's not important to me and it is not the main focus of this podcast. It is. I have been struck lately by a lot of thoughts about the future on many fronts. You know, I have uh, daughters who are trending toward that day when they'll be moving out of the house. I've got a fair amount of years left with uh, two of them. Uh, one of them is going to be going off to college. Uh, so my wife and I are kind of in a life transition stage. And so it's kind of a unique time to look back on life. Um, you know, not been so long that I don't remember the girls when they were little, when they were first born. And it's not too far away when it'll be just my wife and I. And so I've been reflecting on my life and I've been reflecting on the things that I um, am at peace with and the things that 
I dearly wish I could go back and change, but know that I can't. And what I've discovered is that the time that I have left, however long it is, I think it's a couple decades or more, it's very important for me to refocus on priorities, priorities with my girls, priorities with my wife, priorities with what I want, what I want to accomplish in life. And as a young man, I used to think about accomplishments and goals in terms of, you know, life achievement things, maybe places I wanted to travel, things I wanted to see, um, yeah, things I wanted to buy, um, that kind of stuff. And I think that's pretty common. Uh, and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. I just know that lately my thoughts about the future have been more related to what kind of impact can I make? What kind of impact can I make for good in other people's lives? And that's a question I ask myself a lot and a question that I seek God's counsel on a lot because I'm very appreciative of the platform that he's given me to reach people here on the podcast and on the radio and with my writing. And I just feel really fortunate that I come in contact with a lot of people through my professional endeavors that um, don't always, but sometimes open up an avenue for me to talk about eternal things, uh, things with gravity. I think that I have um, a proximity to some people whose capacity I can help uh, raise, who I can uh, maybe enrich a little bit, not financially, but spiritually, with friendship, with uh, a listening ear. I think that's the essence of hopefully glorifying God. I don't bring God into every conversation I have, but I look for opportunities to do so. Because I do truly believe that as much as I talk about politics and as much as I talk about policy and as much as I talk about things that threaten our children and all those kinds of things, the foundation, the underpinnings for me on why I talk about those things and why I talk about them the way I talk about them is that there is no separation in life between serving God as a disciple of Christ and um, engaging in any other activity. It's taken me a long time to, it's not taken me a long time to understand that, it's taken me a long time to prioritize that. And so I guess my, my faith encouragement to you today would be to perhaps take a pause in the next week or two and think about your funeral. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just saying, have you thought about how you want people to remember you and what they want, what you want them to remember you about or for when you're no longer here? Do you want someone to get up and talk about the fact that you made X amount of dollars, were a good golfer or whatever? 
That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think that most people would rather have someone also talk about, see, I'd love for people to get up and go, you know, he was a pretty good golfer. No one will, trust me. But but I don't mind if people stand up at at my funeral and say, you know, he he was a, he could really write, you know, he he wrote some really cool stories. I can glorify God that way. I can make a high school kid feel good about himself in a high school football or basketball game with a great game he had. that That would be fine. But it'd be more meaningful to me if somebody that I worked with said, you know, there was a day that I, I was having a tough day and, uh, and Bruce took the time to listen to me and he offered some encouragement. He offered some, um, some advice. He offered some, he was transparent. He exposed something of himself that, uh, showed me a a portion of his life I didn't know about. He was vulnerable with me. He gave me um, the gift of time. He gave me the gift of insight. He gave me the gift of compassion. Um, I hope somebody would say that. I spend more time thinking about how I can do that. Because I think that's what Jesus did when he was here. I think he spent time with people. I think his time with people impacted him. Obviously, he's the greatest leader of all time. He modeled a movement that has transformed the world. He gave us all the answers to all the things that we struggle with now, but we try to fix them with other things that we assume are better fixes. The fix to racism, the fix to poverty, the fix to immigration, the fix to everything is if we just can change men's hearts and make them more focused on engaging, listening, empathizing. So I don't have a scripture to go with that, at least right not, not off the top of my head. But I guess there's one that would come to mind, and that is um, Matthew 5. Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I hope that's what I'm doing. I hope that's what I'm concentrating on doing. And I hope I do it better than I've done it for a big portion of my life. So with that... I'm going to be really late to pick up my kids at school, but that's okay because this was important for me to share with you. So have a great day. Talk to you again soon. Bye.